The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. If your student is going to live on campus, they will need twin extra long sheets. The first thing people get wrong. The first thing people get freaked out about. The majority of students who enroll in college don't graduate in four years. Is my kid going to make friends? Are they going to fit in? Are they going to find their people at college? Are they going to fail a class? Between Beth and I, we have worked in higher education for 50 years. We really think that there's some opportunity for some great dialogue. From the Pod 617 studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's Twin XL. Now here's your hosts, Laura DeVoe and Beth Grampetro. You know, I think that one of the things that I remember or I, I reflect on a bit about my time in higher education is that there's the students on the, uh, the LGBT students uh, have definitely become something that has become different over my 30 years working. And I remember um, sometimes uh, students oftentimes find me or other people who they see as allies on campus as people to come out to or to express uh, certain things to. And I remember the first time, I distinctly remember the first time a student came in my office and said, I, I need to talk to you about something and came out to me. And I, I've never, that never happened to me before. And I do have to say, I royally screwed it up. Like I couldn't have been more awkward about it. Did um, you ask and, them if it was a phase? I, no, no, I did not. Good. <laughs> Good, good. I, See? Like, I literally, okay. I really think I said, so how do you like designing women and then the Golden Girls? <laughs> I think that's what I said to them. And while, great. you know, yeah, great. <laughs> that was awesome. And it, and then I had a flash to the to that scene in Steel Magnolias where it's like all, all gay men are named Steve and, you know, and they have <laughs> track lighting, you know. And that was, oh, it, it just went poorly. <laughs> so today we're talking about... Dun, uh, uh, parenting your queer child I on just, campus. Thank I you. just want to briefly point out that uh, Google Docs is homophobic because it wants <laughs> to correct where you're saying came out to me to just came to me. <laughs> Go what? away. Oh, God anyway, almighty. moving on. <laughs> uh, moving on. Hi, everybody. I'm Laura DeVoe, and uh, I'm here with Beth Grampetro, and welcome to Twin XL, uh, the parenting podcast for parenting through the college years. Um, and today we have an uh, old friend, um, who's not old, but um, a uh, old friend, colleague. No, none and, of us are old. No, none of us are old. <laughs> and shall I dare say, potentially, I would have to ask him to to identify me as a mentor to him. But um, Eric Crumrine from Berkeley College of Music. Eric, uh, introduce yourself to us uh, as our guest for today. Well, hi, everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and we and Laura, you can absolutely refer to me as mentee. That is that go. is fine. <laughs> Thank you. Um, again, uh, my name is is Eric Crumrine. Um, I use he, him, his pronouns, and I work at Berkeley College of Music and Boston Conservatory at Berkeley. And Eric um, has a great background in um, student life on campus, uh, residence life, diversity uh, services, uh, student activities. He's he's done a lot um, and has been around for quite some time and has worked at a variety of institutions. So, Eric, thank you very much for being with us today. Um, starting out, um, Eric, uh, we will have parents listening to this who don't have queer kids or think they don't have queer kids um, and that this episode may not apply to them. Um, why do you think it's important for them to listen besides uh, potential ad revenue for us? Uh, so why do you think they should be listening? That's 
this particular uh, topic? Sure. Well, I think the, the first thing is the important thing where you said that a lot of that people sometimes think that they don't have like that think that this episode is not going to be a relevant episode to them only to find out once their student gets to college that suddenly it is a relevant episode mm-hmm. for them. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Because um, I do think, I mean, high schoolers, I think nowadays are are in a better spot where a lot more folks are coming out, I think, especially in some sit like more metropolitan areas. Um, but you still have a lot of folks that get to college and that's the first time that they're really having that opportunity to identify who they are and be able to speak to that experience. Um, and so I think that's important for, for parents listening in because it may, maybe it's not your child, but maybe it's their, it's their college roommate, or maybe it's someone that they've met while they're there. And, and that person may not have the support that is in that you may be able to provide. So students come out a variety of ways at a different, at a variety of times and not all parents are supportive. So having any parent that is able to support a student would be, is helpful. Um, that's a great segue to my next question. So like the, the coming out process is a deeply personal process. Um, when students uh, get to college, um, as you said, they may feel it's finally time for them to come out, that they're around people who are allies or people who are supportive. Um, tell parents what uh, they can do to be supportive of this process, especially at a distance. Uh, some parents will not be um you know, distance-wise accessible to their child to come and have dinner or sit down with them and and be close to them physically. Um, how can they uh, be supportive of uh, their child uh, who's who's maybe either continuing in this process as they've left home or starting the process uh, when they're at a distance? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the biggest thing is just you know that that initial level of acceptance of just saying like, okay, like what what do you need or what can we do or what, what is the response that you're looking for at this moment? Maybe they just wanted to have that opportunity to finally have that conversation and talk to their parents and they don't need a pile of resources. They don't need a pile of, you know, here's all the, I found all of the queer organizations in the area where your college is. Let me give you everything that I've got. Like they may not need that. They may have found that already on their own and could just be looking for that opportunity to be honest with, with their parents. Um, so I think always a, a good starting point is just like, what, what can I do to support you at this time? Mm-hmm. Um, and what does that support look like? And what do you have for support on your campus? Um, I, again, I think that's, that's a big piece when we, I've always talked to folks about the idea of when someone comes out, we always initially jump to that place of like, let me do everything I possibly can for you and get all the things out there on the table. And you don't always need that. And that can actually be more overwhelming for a student than just saying like, okay, I appreciate that you would tell me that. And I, I want to, you know, honor your experience. What else, what do you need from me at this moment? You say honor your experience. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's a very millennial thing to say. Okay. It is. And for, no, but I'm saying it's not in a derogatory way as I'm looking across the table at a, are you, you, have we had this conversation? I, I can am, never, you're I a, am either the youngest Gen Xer or the, the oldest, oldest millennial, millennial. Okay. depending on which, depending on which chart you're looking at. Yep. Okay. Um, but it's that, you know, as a, as a pretty dyed in the wool Gen Xer. Okay. <laughs> um, people's this this kind of journey and this your personal story and these things that is not the way a lot of these parents are thinking they don't think about their their own journey their own identity kind of story um and i'm not asking you to interpret and speak gen x but i am going to ask you to kind of if in the when you've looked at how some parents have maybe done it well um and maybe use their own generational 
bias or, or, or viewpoint um, and directed uh, a level of support towards their kid and maybe talk in their own voice. Um, you know, I, I, I'm kind of fumbling over this, but I think that there's a point where sometimes parents are like, but that's not how I talk. I don't understand how a journey or how a story is all about that. I just kind of showed up and started doing my own thing. Um, and especially someone whose identity is not the same as the identity of their child. You know, what are some some things that you've seen some parents do that that created this maybe this uh, on ramp uh, for the child to say, I can be honest and open with my parents, even though um, they don't identify the same way I do? What have you ever seen anything firsthand where you say, wow, that that parent is killing the game in terms of uh, giving their child what they need to um, uh, become actualized in their own skin? Yes, yeah, so you're talking about like when you know before somebody's feeling comfortable coming out, like what parents could potentially do to at least like let that lay that groundwork of like yes. you could come out to us. Yes, and you you are saying it much better than I did. Okay, so go <laughs> ahead. I think it's one of those things. I think there's you know especially right now in 2019 with the the world in this kind of general state that it's in. I think there's a lot of opportunities where you can be supportive and and let students know like or your child know that this is, you know, if you were to come out to me, that would not be an issue without actually saying it that way. You know, maybe it's a news story or maybe it's pop culture or cinema that's happening and, and reflecting and saying like, oh, like I happened to catch this show the other night and they talked about this thing. Or I really like this, the way they did, they did the story with this character. Um, those little nug- those little pieces where it lets a, a kid know like, oh, my mom and dad were you know, I don't, I'm not expecting anyone to watch RuPaul's Drag Race, but that's, you know, if you're saying like, oh, I watched an episode of this show last night, it tells your, it tells your child something. Right. Um, it also tells them something when you speak poorly of those, of that kind of genre of, of TV or that, I guess, genre of, of whatever. Um, so if you're talking like, oh, like this was on, I had to flip the channel away because, you know, the gays, that's not helpful. <laughs> uh, when you so say the gays in that tone, I, yes, not helpful. Yeah, and yeah. I and I've and I've seen both sides of that. Like, mm-hmm. where I've I've been in a I've been in a room before where someone said like, "Oh, Will and Grace came on, and I turned the channel because that's the shit." Like, because of the programming that it was, um, which signaled to me that that person was not someone I was going to be able to be authentic with. Yeah, and especially um, since Will and Grace is probably on the on the scale, yeah, it's uh, is, not. is not uh, if if the scale is Will and Grace to pose. It is yeah. probably on one <laughs> right. end of the scale. Yes. Well, exactly. and I think about also, you guys were talking already about, um, you know, honoring the child's experience. And I made the joke earlier, Laura, when you were talking about messing up someone's coming out to you. Yeah. Like, oh, did you ask them if it was a phase? Yeah. I think, you know, that is also part of a parent mm-hmm. when a, when your child does say something to you. And this could apply to many things. Yes. Um, but honoring what they're telling you mm-hmm. by not minimizing it and not saying like, Oh, you'll grow out of this. Or like, you're just like, your friends are all kissing other girls too right now. Cause it's Cause a that's trend. What you do, yeah. you know, and it's not, that's not going to mark you as a safe person for them either. If you sort of laugh it off and say, Oh, you just like wearing these clothes for fun and you're going to grow out of it. Right. Exactly. And they might like go through it and decide that that's not their identity, but that's not for you to choose. And it's not for you to define. It's their no. own individual um, moment and their own individual journey, which their story, as Eric said earlier. So, um, okay. So, Eric, I am going to we're going to take a quick break um, and get on to the next, uh, and then go on to the next section where we're going to uh, talk a little bit more about 
campus services uh, for queer students. So we'll be right back. Twin XL is supported by Sunstein, Kahn, Murphy & Timbers, a boutique law firm specializing in intellectual property. Sunstein's attorneys are passionate representatives of their clients' ideas, technologies, and brands. And Sunstein's broad range of expertise in the intellectual property field, including patent and trademark litigation, sets it apart from the competition. Visit Sunstein at sunsteinlaw.com. That's S-U-N-S-T-E-I-N-Law.com. Contact Sunstein to see how your intellectual property can be winning intellectual property. All right, welcome back from that little break. Uh, we are here with Eric Crumrine and uh, talking about uh, queer LGBT students on campus and how parents can support their students, or as we talked about in the first segment, perhaps their student's roommate or friend who might mm-hmm. need support with that. Exactly. Um, Eric, I want to talk a little bit about campus services. Are there specialty services for the LGBTQ population on campus at most schools, and how might those be different from the services just available to all students? I think that's a harder question because I think there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of different campuses approach this work all very differently. So you might be on a campus that has an LGBT center or has very specific LGBT counseling services or specialized folks that are working in different areas. Um, but you might also be on a campus that that doesn't, or maybe they approach LGBT work where that falls under a larger umbrella of diversity and inclusion or multicultural services. Um, and there may not be a specific person or, or office, but it just kind of general things that are out there. Um, but I do know a lot of times counseling services and some of those places will try, and if they don't have somebody specific that might be able to better connect with those students, have resources about things in the area or ways to kind of get folks around in other, other places. But it is... I think it's tough when you're in, especially like some of the rural campuses um, where there's not much going on around you um, and you're a smaller school, there there may not be something specific. Um, but a lot of times, again, bigger institutions um, may have some of those more, more of those services available depending on how they approach diversity and inclusion work. Great. Um, so how might you encourage parents to help their students navigate these sorts of things on campus, whether it's, you know, we're getting to the point of the year where I'm not, we're not sure yet when this will air, but it will likely be around the time either that students are going back to school or that they're in like their first month on campus. Mm -hmm. So what might a parent say to their student about finding the resources on campus, even if they're not a specific LGBT center, but like finding allies on campus and finding the spaces and people that are there to support them? Yeah, I, I think one one place that I can always encourage parents and, and families to think about is, are they getting connected with student clubs on campus? Yep. Um, because more often than not, if there's not other services out there on campus that are specific to LGBT students, most campuses at this point have some sort of an LGBT student club. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And those students are going to be a tremendous resource and a tremendous network because if they're you know a senior at the institution, they're going to know the people that you want to make sure you're connected with, they're going to make sure you know the right people to ask for support um, or where some of that support might exist. So a student club is always a really good starting point um, as well as talking about like what, you know, have you connected with your, your RA if you're living on campus and what does that look like? Um, can you make sure that you're, you know, going to programs because again, you may be connecting with folks that are going to have access to those resources if you don't specifically know where they are mm-hmm. or what, that campus calls those specific resources. 
When and, you know, I think Eric brings up a really good point is that, you know, one of the things that's a really a benefit of any club or organization, but especially identity based uh, clubs and organizations, is that um, there is a, a common language that is uh, part of being part of that organization. And there's also a sense of trust and a sense of um, connectivity and belonging that happens in these places. Um, and if one student is having struggles um, with mental health or um, someone is in a major that may be underrepresented with LGBTQ students um, and says, you know, I'm having a really tough time in this class. Um, someone else who might be in that major or someone who has a connection with a faculty member in that major or another faculty member, being able to say to somebody, hey, you know what, if you're struggling with this, maybe you should go see this faculty member. Or there is, I, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm seeing a counselor at the counseling center and this is the one who I really... Um, connected with because they have um, they, they just have a real good connection with me. Um, I think that they really understand where I'm coming from from being LGBTQ. Um, those are those are those things where um, I think it's really important for students to hear from one another because I I mean from an administrator standpoint and, and you know Eric and Beth can disagree with me on this but I think that sometimes you know they hear it from you and they said this you're supposed to tell me this this is your job. Um, Whereas if a student tells them this, it has a, another level of legitimacy, um, even though uh, we may be saying the same thing. Um, when they hear it from a peer, it resonates with them a little bit differently. Um, students sometimes turn on to peer referrals a little bit quicker than the referral of an administrator because they're speaking from their own generational viewpoint. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that, Eric? I think I think I would agree and disagree a little bit. I think I think some for some administrators, I think that's definitely true that students are, are more apt to listen to other folks. I think it's also tricky because, like you know, for me as someone who is a very out person on our campus, yep. I think being out and, and visible sometimes folks like that on college campuses can also land that impact where it's like, hey, I maybe I don't know your same story because everyone's experience is different, but like I I have the ability to understand what you're going through to some degree and here are some things that I know about on campus that are helpful. And I think looking for that, yeah. that mentor in that way is, is really helpful. Um, so, which is why for me, it's always been very important that it's, I'm very visible when it comes to being on campus and, and my, my queer identity um, because there are students that are still coming out and looking for somebody to like be able to sit down and have that conversation with. Um, so I, I always encourage my, my colleagues to, as best we can to do, to do that for our students. Yep. And I think that's, you know, we, there's that hashtag representation matters, um, that is so pervasive right now. And what you just said, Eric has absolute, um, resonance in that is that when a student can see somebody who they relate to in an administrative role, that's a different reality than someone who like, I mean, I'm going to say it, I'm, I'm, I'm as milk toast as it comes in terms of who I am, who I identify as and everything else. But, um, so a student may be more apt to say to me, well, Laura DeVoe, that you, you need to tell me that because that's your job. Whereas Eric Crumrine, you live it. Um, and so they, they may be more adept for that. So absolutely. What are your thoughts on, um, you know, the flip side and we've all seen it a little bit when it comes to student clubs and organizations where sometimes what happens on them is, uh, some, maybe not great information being disseminated by peers, um, from a parenting standpoint, um, is there a point where you think a parent may have to maybe, uh, maybe 
dial in a little bit in terms of what a, a peer group might be telling them. And this isn't um, maybe limited to queer identity, but you know we talk about this in some of our other episodes about um, good good um, ex- good advice that you might be receiving from a peer versus now nah, that that may not be the best advice. Uh, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think there's, you know, with any any group of folks on a college campus, you're always going to run into like, you know, I think there's ways that students can be supportive and helpful through through a process. But also if, you know, they're joining the LGBT group and that group is, you know, taking them out, party, you know, getting them into things that are not great. Um, I think looking, you know, tra- I think treating the, the student group like you would any other group of, of friends that your student might be making. Yep. Um, and whatever, whatever metrics you're applying to like, this is, you know, my students making some poor choices with this, this group of folks. And it has nothing to do with the LGBT identity of the right. group, but it has more to do with the fact that they're encouraging them to do things that are not great. Um, you know, I think that's a spot where you can dial in. And I think it's hard because when someone finds a, a community, um, especially a community, maybe they've never had before, you're more apt to try and, you know, the student's going to try and hold on to that and wants to make, you know, will justify that perhaps differently than if it was just a normal group of friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really important. That's, yep, absolutely. And, and that makes the conversation harder with, I think, as a, as a parent to say, like, are you sure this is the right group of, of people for you? Are they are they really bringing out the best of yourself? Um when you layer the identity piece onto it, that just makes that conversation more complicated. Yeah, I think it's a really good point because you, you as a parent, you're trying to be uh, supportive of the identity piece, but at the same time, you're saying, "Yeah, but you're not going to class. You're not, you know, you're not studying. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing in terms of your academic progress and your success." Um, and how do they maybe compartmentalize, you know, what's the issue here is the issue about making good choices about class. Um, it's not about the personalities. It's not about the identity. It's about what, what is your point of being in school right now? And that's, a that makes it a little bit more complicated. And I think any of us could be reflecting back on a student who, um, maybe may have been challenged by something like this, um, in their time, Beth's, Beth's nodding her head in, in, in (laughs) emphatic and nodding. So, um, all right, we're going to come up on another break. Um, and after the break, we are going to focus on living on campus as well as trans students, which is uh, a really important topic. And so we will be right back. Hi, everybody. I'm Chami DePerel. Let me take a minute to tell you about the Boston Podcast Network. How would you like your own podcast? The Boston Podcast Network can produce one for you, whether you're a lawyer, financial advisor, business owner, or really any kind of professional. You should have your voice heard through this exciting new medium. A good podcast is more powerful than traditional advertising. If a prospective client hears your podcast through their earbuds, you're already in their head. Literally, pod617.com will help you deliver a message and build relationships. Clients and centers of influence will delight in being a guest on your show. Go to pod617.com to start planning. And in the meantime, listen to the great shows they've already produced. The Irreverent Bitchless Bride Podcast, the hilarious show known as Shawshanked, and the wild trip through the paranormal that is Monsterland. Be part of the pod revolution. Visit pod617.com in pod. We trust. All right. So we're back from the break. And um, we're going to start by talking about uh, students who are trans students. Uh, trans students and those who are transitioning in college um, is an area that college and university has become more in tune with. 
um, with serving uh, this properly and sensitively. Um, we want to make sure that, uh, especially in the last five to ten years, I think. I think the first time I ever uh, had a, it brought to my attention of a student transitioning uh, was, I think, now it's going up on about fifteen years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, can Eric? Can you talk about uh, where parents can heighten their support of their transitioning child, and where are some of the rights that parents and children should bookmark? Um, and, uh, we are, we have asked Eric for some services and, uh, sorry, for some resources, which we will, um, include in our show notes as well. But, um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I think, you know, I think, I think the, for, for supporting trans students, I think it's a, it's another layer of support that I think is because being a trans student can mean a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's, that's probably maybe the biggest, hurdle for a lot of folks to to work through, I think, as parents, allies, and, and folks who are trying to support a student is that when someone says that they're trans, that that, could, that can mean a whole host of things, yep. um, which I think is a little bit different than if someone walking, you know, if your male identifying student says that they identify as gay, that gives you a pretty good quick indication of what that specifically means, whereas somebody who says that they're trans falls under a really large umbrella, and I think that continuing to engage in those conversations like so like tell me more like what is for you what does this mean like what does that mean to you um and allowing them to talk about whether they whether they are going to be transitioning if that's a thing that they're they're doing i think we're seeing a lot more folks now that are identifying as trans that aren't going through some of the more physical transitions Mm -hmm. um that we've seen in maybe years past where when you said trans that meant that you were on this like pathway to transitioning to something different yes um and so i think that initially i think that's a that's a big thing i always want to put out there and talk about when when thinking about trans students is that this could mean a lot with gender identity um Mm -hmm. and not necessarily about the physical nature of of transition well there are a Uh, lot of students now i mean i'm thinking specifically of the institution where i work but i know from colleagues at all different places this is true that a lot of students not necessarily are walking in and saying i actually i am trans but they may be non-binary. They may yes. they may identify as genderqueer. They have all of, a lot of different ways of expressing what their gender identity is to them. Um, and I think you really point that out beautifully, Eric, by saying, you know, the first question really should be, well, what does that mean to you? Tell me about what that is for you. Mm-hmm. What does that mean for your life? Um, because it's not just, as you said, this, oh, okay, so you're going to do X, Y, and Z next. Yep. Yeah, and so... And I- and I, like I said, I think in engaging in those conversations, I do think, you know, talking about what what support the student, again, is is looking for. Is it, you know, are they in a space where they want to talk? You know, maybe counseling is a, or, or therapy is a, a space they want to be just because there's a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety that comes with a coming out process and coming out for trans students um, can be even more complicated, more difficult. And so knowing just what is that support network that they're looking for, um, and what is, what is the thing that they, that they need? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think having some of those very basic conversations about, you know, okay, so like pronouns, what pronouns, um, are, are the right pronouns for you? And how can I make sure I'm, I'm being mindful of that when I'm talking about, um, who you are, um, and I think remembering that when you're working with other folks that navigating a college campus can be really tricky just generally. Um, and if you're layering on that somebody is is trans and there's, you know, they're using a, a name that is different than what maybe is on their government documents or have a gender identity that does not that's not reflective of their their sex assigned at birth. I think no, trying to figure out as a parent calling you know, your your registrar or some of those offices and saying, do you have a process in place? 
for us to make sure that on the first day of class, our student is going to be identified in a way that actually is appropriate. Mm-hmm. Uh, because some there are places there, that colleges that are getting better at this, and I think that there's ways that you can navigate that and do it well. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes having a parent call and say, like, this is a thing I need you to fix um, can maybe sometimes make things move a little quicker than when a student shows up and says that they want something changed. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least be able to kind of engage in that, that conversation and figure out what what a, a school's process looks like. Right. And I think that when we're trying to coach parents on coaching their kid, um, you know, there is a point where parents feel like, look, I need to make the phone call. Um, and I've worked at some campuses and I'm aware. Um, the, so there's been a survey through uh, the registrar um, ACRO, uh, which is the registrar association uh, that is about what what does it take on a college campus to change um, uh, the student's record, um, and their, their, uh, information and some institutions, it's very easy. It's literally walk up and just say, this is my name. This is how I identify. And they just fix it. Okay. And they just do it. Other places you have to jump through 16 fiery hoops and take the blood test and all this other stuff. And, and it makes it that much more difficult. And, it actually has long, I mean, when you were talking about identity and how someone identifies and what does this mean for you, all I was going through in my head was at so many levels, college campuses, the services we provide is on the binary. It is not something that allows for people to exist um, in a different environment, okay? And that, you know, when you look at either housing or what your school ID says or anything like that, it's very much, no, you're either male or female. It is this, this is the way it is. Um, and, you know, what that is a frustration uh, for some students um, and for their parents. And what do you say to a parent or a student who exists in an environment where their institution may be a bit more fixed? And how would you coach a parent um, in how to how to support their child? Yeah, and I it's such a tricky conversation because I think the first thing you always want to do is be like, go somewhere else, like find a different. (laughs) (laughs) You're at the wrong school. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Your school's not doing it well, then like find somewhere else to go. Um, But I have to recognize that like, a, there's a lot of privilege in being able to say like, go somewhere else that, you know, is, is going to be able to do what your student needs. But then also be like, if that's the place that they've always wanted to go forever and it's got the program that they want and the faculty they want to work with, you're not going to tell someone to leave because the school's not, you know, right. the best for that. Like they're, they're not servicing the student in the way that is helpful. Uh, I think it's, it's about working with them to figure out, okay, like, so where, where are the spots where we can move the needle a little bit? Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it, and I think it, it always sucks to be in this position, but like sometimes someone's got to be the first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, and maybe you are the first on that campus or the first who's willing to voice it in a way that you're going to make people listen. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, figure out where, where are those spots that, what that means. So are you a trans student who is being told you can't live in the room with a, a gender that aligns with you because of the archaic policies that a campus has? Um, you know, maybe is it figuring out what's the compromise? Do you have, can I at least get a single on campus? Like what, what are you willing to do to meet the needs that I've got? Because that can be so tricky. Right. Um, and I think it, it's about asking those questions like, okay, so like, this is our situation. What is, what is a campus service are you going to be able to do to support my student? Um, and I think if they're not meeting your needs, um, and I hesitate to say this as a college administrator, um, but work your way up the chain. Yeah. Like 
if housing's not do meeting your needs and saying that your student can't live in the room that aligns with their gender identity, who who does housing report to and have that conversation with them? Because again, maybe you're the first yep. and, and you're going to be the person who maybe gets to move that needle a little bit. And every campus has a first. I mean, I, I, I absolutely, mm-hmm. I applaud you for saying sometimes it sucks to be the first, but every campus has the first. I remember when I was in college and again, this was middle of the eighties, um, but there were no curb cuts. There were no, um, you know, front door accessibility for kids in wheelchairs and things like that. And, my a good friend of mine in college who was in a wheelchair, he started an organization to raise awareness about this at the institution, but not just raise awareness, but to make action happen. So he's like, you know, we literally recorded time as to how long it took him to get to class versus an, a person who was not in a wheelchair. And we wrote that information down, brought it to the to the vice president who was responsible for that area, and actual change happened. Did it take work? Yes. Did it take people who were able-bodied to amplify his message? Absolutely. Um, But that is where I think it's very important for people who are, you know, as you're trying to say, what is, what is relevant about this, this topic that may not be something that, that impacts my family. It does impact your family because your, your family can amplify and be an ally alongside somebody who needs somebody. If being the first is hard, being the first takes balls takes backbone takes whatever but that was ironic that was ironic yes um but but it takes it takes a lot and it takes a lot of push to be the first but if you were the first you need somebody alongside of you who's going to be there to support you um well and even if you're not like if you are a student or if your student is a person who they are trans or they are non-binary or they are somewhere that in in some way they are encountering boundaries and you know stumbling blocks at their institution around gender and they don't want to be the person that starts a club or the person that protests but they you know it's wearing on them to have to fill out a form every time they go to the campus health center that asks if they're male or female or you know there's like all of these small things that Mm -hmm intrude on that person's day-to-day life and their right to just kind of be themselves in the world that are really exhausting. Yes. And I think in addition to, you know, being their parent and, or again, if it's not your kid, if it's someone else that you can be a mentor to or be an ally to, this is about finding out what kind of support they need and what they want. Mm -hmm. Like how much fight do they want to engage in? But also just knowing that, yeah, sometimes your voice added to theirs or amplifying theirs is going to help make that progress faster. And sometimes that's really unfair. (laughs) But if it's helpful and it gets them to a place of being more comfortable faster, then that can be a good thing. Eric, we have a couple more seconds here. Anything you want to add that we have not covered today on this topic overall? Um, Again, I think... It's just going back to, I think, what we said at the very beginning, which is just, you know, being open when someone comes to you and and, and shares a part of who they are. Um, and again, just not, you know, I, I know I said it before, but honoring the experience, but I think finding the way to just say, like, I appreciate that you would tell me this and and what can I do to support you? And if, if folks, I think, walk away with nothing else from this this episode, like that, that should be the the core, I think, of what what we're looking at is. I appreciate that you would tell me this. What can I do to help support you? Definitely. So Eric, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where can you be found? 
I can be found all over the interwebs because <laughs> I'm a millennial. Uh, <laughs> Yay. Yay. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely like, I'm, I'm, I'm out there on Twitter. Um, so you can find me on, on Twitter, which is just uh, at E crumrine, E C R U M R I N E. Um, that's probably the spot that's the most kind of public space that I take up in terms of social media. Um, so folks, and if you have questions or want to follow up in a conversation, my email address is also ecrumrine at gmail.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for being with us today, Eric. Um, for Thanks folks for who, having me. Oh, we're so glad to have you. <laughs> for folks who want to find TwinXL on social media, we are on Twitter at TwinXLPod. We are on Facebook. Uh, you can search TwinXLPod on there. You can email us at TwinXLPod at gmail.com. And if you would like to offer monthly support to the podcast, we have a Patreon. It's not a Patronus. It's not the Pantheon. <laughs> I like Patreon. to call it Patronus, um, but that's wrong. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Podcast. You can do as little as a dollar a month to keep this train on the track. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh, oh now we have Hooray. a sound effect. <laughs> nice. And that reminds me to thank David Yaz, our producer, for all of the sound effects. <laughs> and everything else. And thank you again, Eric. You're the best. Awesome. Thanks again for having me. Okay. <laughs>